0: Infants on Thrones. In its heyday, as part of this weird ex-Mormon internet space thingy, was a legendary ex-Mormon podcast. A living legendary ex-Mormon podcast. A living legendary ex-Mormon podcast that would live long after lots of other living legendary ex-Mormon podcasts have died. Part of its unique living legendariness stems from its many, many smackdowns. Those times when infants would read something and then smack it down. This is one of those legendary smackdowns. A classic Infants on Thrones smackdown that made today's weird ex-Mormon internet space thingy what it is today. This is Infants on Thrones, SmackDowns Only, please. Smack, 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 Smack Welcome back to Infants on Thrones, SmackDowns Only, please. I'm Glenn Ostland, and what you're going to hear today was recorded way back in December 2010. And if you don't already know the story about Ronald Pullman, you're in for a real treat, because in 1984, Ronald Pullman gave a talk in General Conference that made church leaders less important than the gospel, and those church leaders did not like it one bit, so they asked Ronald Pullman very nicely to rewrite parts of the talk and re-record it in front of an empty tabernacle along with a cough track to try and pass it off like nothing had ever happened whatsoever, but people had recorded the original talk with their VCRs, and well, can you say agon face? Now, I consider this the first unofficial Infant Smackdown, and now you get to hear it. So, here it is. Enjoy. Yeah, hang Hold on, on, on to your hats and glasses, glasses. <laughs> this here is the wildest ride in the
1: wilderness. Both the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ are true and divine. However, there is a distinction between them which is significant. <laughs>
2: Both the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the Church of Jesus Christ are true and divine. And there is an essential relationship between them that is significant and very important. Did you ever have to make up your mind? Both, Both the, gospel the Gospel of Jesus,
1: of Jesus Christ, Christ, Christ and the Church, and the church of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ are true and, and divine. divine. Pick up
0: and leave the
1: other However, there is a distinction between them. an essential relationship, the distinction between them. an essential relationship,
2: it's not often easy and not
3: often kind, distinction. Essential,
2: distinction, essential relationship, distinction, essential relationship, distinction, which is significant, significant and very important.
3: Did you ever have to finally decide? Can't
2: touch this.
4: Can't touch
3: this.
5: <laughs> this is infants on thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans.
2: We are the core. The core. Uh,
0: so we're going to spend the next uh, hour tonight talking about the Ronald E. Pullman incident, and we brought in several guests. Jesse, you want to say hello?
3: Sure. Um, I'm Jesse. Um, I live in the Midwest. I'm currently an active member of the church, although. Uh, certainly not any any kind of a traditional believer. Um, I had my crisis of faith about uh, a year and a half ago or so, and just been kind of trying to figure things out since then. Um, I'm fascinated by Mormon history, and very excited for tonight's topic.
0: And and you were born April sixth, weren't you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> of course.
0: Which which is fantastic because we're we're coming up on uh Christmas uh this week. Uh, as That's we're right. recording the podcast, which and, and you were born on Jesus's actual birthday.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: Fantastic. Yes. And and yes. we're also uh joined tonight by James.
4: Hello everybody. Well, I um was born and raised in the church, uh lived uh most of my life in Arizona and Utah and uh currently live in the Phoenix area. Uh I would, I'm an active member of the church. I guess you could say I'm a non-traditional believer.
0: All right, thanks, James. And then we also have joining us uh, Rock Waterman. Rock, we want to tell us a little bit about yourself.
5: I'm a, I'm a believing Latter-day Saint. I maintain a blog called Pure Mormonism, and it was motivated by essentially the topic of this this uh, podcast right now. The sense that I've noticed over the past couple of decades that the church and the gospel has been conflated into one entity and 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 many members are confused as to what they should worship should they worship christ or should we worship the Christ, the, the church so i see a lot of idolatry in the church and sort of that's the kind of the theme of my blog pure mormonism is to sort of go back and look at some of the pure doctrines all right so we've got an interesting
0: group here with us tonight um so let's start off by talking a little bit about who Ronald Pullman is. I
4: have a little bit of his background. Uh, he was born in 1928 in Salt Lake City. Um, he served a mission in the Netherlands. Um, in the, 1955, he graduated from the University of Utah Law School, and then he got an MBA from Harvard Business School in 1965. Um, he lived in San Francisco and was a vice president of Consolidated Freightways. Um, he was a bishop in San Francisco and then was called to the first Quorum of the Seventy in 1978. And uh, he served several uh, twice on the, the general presidency of the Sunday School.
3: He did have a little bit of a reputation before this talk
4: as being one of the more liberal members
3: um, of the Quorum of the Seventy. I think of him as the Marlon K. Jensen of the
4: 1980s. Really? Okay. I think the Elder Pullman incident in general has gotten more... Uh, Uh, notoriety on the internet just in the last few months with uh, Elder Packer's talk being changed. People have looked this up and and realized this this isn't the first time it's happened. And so I wouldn't be surprised that that might have spurred them to to go talk to him.
3: Yeah, I've been kind of surprised, even within the the disaffected Mormon underground, how few people um, know about this. You know, people know about polyandry and polygamy and you know, the kinderhook plates and on and on and on and on. And this is one of those things that it just seems to have been more or less lost down, down the proverbial memory hole, but um, we can get into that.
0: All right. So I, I'll, I'll bet at this point people are, are probably listening and thinking, all right, stop talking about Pullman and just tell us what it is that he said.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so let, let's let's summarize the message real quick. Well, I'd happily do that. All right. The, uh- he gave a a wonderful talk. It was very very clarifying about the differences, the important distinctions between the church and the gospel. And he pointed out that it's essential that we understand these differences because if we don't, we'll uh, it'll result in confusion. We can we may uh, well we'll confuse the church and the gospel and conflate the two as one. So he he made the point that that is. An important distinction to make: the difference between the church and the gospel.
4: I like, he said, um, one quote from the talk that I think sums it up. He says, "As individually and collectively we increase our knowledge, acceptance, and application of gospel principles, we become less dependent on church programs. Our lives become gospel centered." There, um, there you go. There you go. Right. And of course, that's,
5: that's how I well, always thought that that eventually we we would uh, be clued in enough that we wouldn't really need the church to hold our hands. But apparently, somebody from on high felt that was going a little too far that we needed needed them but so am brushing things
0: so he was saying that the gospel was unchangeable and yes. that the, the gospel was pure and that the gospel uh had the the keys of salvation um uh, and that the church was a delivery system but that the church was changeable
5: right yes yes he said programs change uh depending on the situation and uh, policies change but the gospel is unchanging and uh and uh, the the thing about this talk at the time it was like a breath of fresh air uh, a lot of people said finally we're you know i understand because we'd been moving the church had been moving uh, into an area where people were looking to the church as the Magisterium as the divine authority in all things, and looking and confusing church leaders with uh, well I, I, in my view they were there was some idolatry growing so what what was going on in one thousand nine hundred and eighty four that that people
0: would be looking at the church as a magisterium because i I would think you know if we're we're looking back we would say hey 1978 is when the blacks got the priesthood that's a pretty good thing the church was making progress so now we're six years removed from that what's the problem why 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 is this a, a bad thing in 1984
4: I think the church in general was was kind of going through a period of retrenchment. The whole New Mormon history had, had been happening. Um, lots of new facts about church history that hadn't been known has been coming out. Uh, Michael Quinn was starting to get, be, there started to be controversy about some of the things he'd been saying. Uh, Leonard Arrington was released as a church historian in 1982. Um, Bruce Armour Conk, I believe, it was 1982. I uh, gave a message to church educators saying that not everything that is true is helpful and kind of encouraged them not to not to depart from anything that wasn't faith-affirming. Um, so I think the church was just kind of feeling un- like it was under attack, and it actually 1984 was when the uh, Salamander letter was produced by uh, Mark Hoffman, which called into doubt some of the origins of the church. So I think it was under this whole uh, environment of the church is kind of feeling under attack itself that that this talk was given. Okay,
3: I I, I have one point one point to make on that. Yeah. Um, well, first I think it's we we have to mention that this happened in 1984. Um, <laughs> so maybe George Orwell was a prophet. Um, <laughs> because this this would certainly fulfill his prophecy of um going down the memory hole um just what what happened to this talk but um to me this is kind of the modern version of or or it's one of the stepping stones in a long string of the church changing its history and of members fundamentally not having a grasp on what church? Uh, what the church is actually doing behind the curtain? So there's changes to the Book of Mormon that members have no clue about, even today. Um, there's changes to the Doctrine and Covenants that members have no clue about, um, and and because our church is such is so historically based, to me those are personal and those actually matter. So when I learned about this incident, it was it was really sad. To kind of look at the history and see the direction the church was going, and then I think it, this was this was the high water mark where it it, it, ma- it was a turning point um, to which everything since then has just been more more entrenched. Like James said, it's just kept going in that direction. Um, yeah,
5: yeah. I think by 1986, correlation was in full flower, and it had been right. a gradual, gradual change until the church, in my opinion, had, had gradually changed from a libertarian organization to one that required obedience, uh, and, and where the leadership felt that they were responsible for the testimonies of the members, and that they were somehow in charge of the members. And so we, we, we got to this point where uh, obedience... Uh, you know it was just a different church than the one i grew up with under president mckay i was born when president mckay uh took office and i graduated high school the year he died so that was how i grew up in the church Uh, we were constantly taught that uh, the free agency was one of the most important things and i and i wasn't by 1986 we weren't seeing that at all jesse you mentioned
0: george orwell and the memory hole sure and i think that's I think that's really an interesting point. Um and, and I think Rock you wrote about that on your blog as well. Yeah. C- could you guys explain what the memory hole is? Because I, I, I think as as we talk about what happened with the refilming of this video, that that will become a, a, a key point.
3: Do you wanna take that, Jesse? Um sure. Uh so so George Orwell wrote a book called Nineteen Eighty Four. It's um, part of a genre called dystopian fiction. And in dystopian fiction, there are always two worlds. There's the world that is is the happy world that everyone pretends uh, to believe and to live in. And then there's also a sinister world, which is behind the scenes, which underlies most of the story. So in, in 1984, the book, people would uh, receive reports or there would be pieces of statistics or, or news Uh, news articles or or anything um that was published if it later became unfavorable it would be taken by a clerk it would be redacted it would be edited it would be changed and then that little strip of paper that was the previous article would go into a hole called the memory hole and it would suck it up and make it disappear so if anybody ever went back and looked at that news article or if they ever you know checked that report The only thing they would see was what was later edited, and then once it's gone down the memory hole, nobody has any recourse of being able to say, "Oh no, wait! But look, it was really this," Um, and that's what's happened. That's what's happened with this talk: is the church. You know, he gave the talk in General Conference. It was Sunday morning of October 1984, and by the time it was published. The talk had been completely changed, and by the time the videos were released, the talk had been re-recorded, a cough track was added into it, and nobody could find the original video. Um, it, was, it was never released by the church. But as Rock points out on his blog, there were people who had VCRs in that day. So uh, I think we'll be linking to the, to the YouTube videos of, of the original um, video, which are, are available on YouTube, um, and it's very interesting.
5: And you know I wonder if the uh, the church authorities who decided to retape that even were aware of the existence of video recorders at the time if they were they uh, as I point out very few people had them at the time they they cost anywhere from six hundred to thirteen hundred dollars and so I doubt that there there were very few members of the church who owned VCRs but those few who did were apparently using them to record conference it was a, a fairly new invention but uh, i, I I don't think the, the church would attempt something like that today, uh, knowing that there's there's so many uh, devices to record something on, like that on, but because they, they completely turned the talk inside out, as you know. It's not like they just uh, deleted a few lines like they did with Elder Packer.
4: One of the first sentences of the talk, he says there is a, um, a distinction between the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. And the new version says there is an essential relationship between them. Both
1: the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ are true and divine. However, there is a distinction between them which is significant. And it is very important that this distinction be understood.
2: Both the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ are true and divine. And there is an
4: essential relationship between them that is significant and very important. I think that sums it up. Instead, rather than making the distinction between the two as he did in the original talk, the, the changed version of the talk says that you can't have one without the other, that the church essentially is the gospel and you can't have the gospel without the church, and the two are inseparable.
5: Yeah, but what, what I see was that Pullman was, was, was laying out the distinctions between the gospel and the church so that we don't. Uh, so that we don't mis- misunderstand either one, but somebody was going, no, 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 no. The gospel is the church. They're the same thing. Don't you know? We want the we want the members to <laughs> to see them as one and the same.
3: I've got that quote. He said in the original talk, as individually and collectively we increase our knowledge, acceptance, and application of gospel principles, we become less dependent on church programs. In the revised version that was the same until the last part of the sentence he said we've become more or we sorry we can more effectively utilize the church to make our lives more gospel centered so instead of becoming less focused on the church w- <laughs> the goal is that we can more effectively utilize the church
0: yeah yeah so and instead of the church it's... becoming less the church becomes more
3: right which which, which I... I think i when i see Members, I mean, to me, that's exactly what's happened in the last 26 years um, with, with chur- church programs. Is is it hasn't become any more gospel focused? It's become much more church focused.
4: Institutional. I, th- I think we need right. to fairly characterize Elder Pullman. I don't think Elder Pullman's saying that the church isn't valuable. I think he's saying the church no. is very valuable. But right. um, there's something. But you know, it, it's it's only a, a a tool to use to come close to the gospel. It, it's um, a, it's
5: a means to an end. Right. right right yeah absolutely it's essential it's essential to have the delivery system to get the product to you but it but let's let's keep it in perspective it is not the product it is not it is not the it's not it's not the meat
3: it's, yeah the, the, it's simply- those, the, those words delivery system were changed to uh, uh, the church is divinely commissioned the gospel is the substance ...of the divine plan for personal,
1: individual salvation and exaltation. The church is the delivery system that provides the means and resources... ...to implement this plan in each individual's life.
2: The gospel is the divine plan for personal, individual salvation and exaltation. The church is divinely commissioned to provide the means and resources... That implement this plan in each individual's life.
5: Yeah. So, yeah. They, so, even so
2: took, <laughs> they even took out the obvious. Uh,
5: it's it's obvious that that the church's role is to get the gospel to us to administer the ordinances. But it, but like you say that quote, they just said that's. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> now, what's the what's the quote from Joseph Smith where he, he says that? Uh, the, the, I, I teach the church correct principles that they may govern themselves, something like that
5: yeah, somebody somebody asked him how do you govern such a large number of people I can't recall who it was, it was a visitor to Nauvoo and he said I, I just teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves it was like he was asked a stupid question I don't govern these people I I just teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves Yeah. And, and,
3: and, and yeah, go ahead Oh, there, there was one quote. I actually wrote that in, in my notes um, by the side of this one. The sentence was changed. This is on page six. Uh, the sentence was changed from institutional, or, or, excuse me, supervision is replaced by righteous initiative and a sense of divine accountability. That, that quote was changed to, we will exercise self-discipline and righteous initiative guided by church leaders and a sense of divine accountability. So instead of something being internal and having righteous initiative, you know, being agents unto ourselves, we start to exercise, um, you know, discipline, which means we're being led by the church leaders.
5: Exactly. You need As the leaders. As in the
3: people, not only, not only the institution, but it specifically inserts and, and changes individual choice to following church leaders.
5: Exactly. That we can't quote, do it without the church is what they're saying.
3: Right,
4: That quote from Joseph, sorry, go ahead.
5: I was just going to say, we can't make our own decisions without the guidance of the brethren. And it, it was almost as if there was a, a flurried panic that that the members might wake up and find out that we don't need them.
4: That's that all. quote from Joseph Smith uh, was from uh, John Taylor, recorded this in 1851 in the Millennial Star. And what he says is a gentleman, a member of the legislature, asked Joseph Smith how it was that he was enabled to govern so many people and to preserve such perfect order remarking at the same time that it was impossible for them to do it anywhere else mr. Smith remarked that it was very easy to do that how responded the gentleman to us it is very easy to us to us it is very difficult mr. Smith replied I teach them correct principles and they govern themselves
5: Thank you James I've been looking for the background on that <coughs> I appreciate that well,
0: well I mean and, and there's also a scripture in DNC and again I don't know the the right you know the the, the, the scripture and the chapter and verse, but it's not meet that you should be commanded in all things, for the same as a slothful, not a wise servant, you know. But be doing good continually, you, you know that one. I mean, sure. it, it seems consistent with that sort of thing, but but here you've got church leaders that are saying no, you do need to be commanded in all things, and you need us to command you, um, you know, uh, uh, o- obedience. I and I don't I don't know Rock that I would say that that. They were afraid that people were going to wake up and say we don't we don't need the church. But to say that the ultimate end goal of the church is to say that we don't need the church, it seems like that's where they feel that the the threat is.
5: Does that make sense? Well, I I tend to think that I, I, now as Paul Toscano said, he says individually these men are fine people. But when they get together, they act like a corporation. I think that there's a tendency to protect the church, to protect the image, protect. The, I think, think they feel they're needed, and that was a threat that they might not be needed. But yeah, it's just my opinion.
4: Well, and then so that's, that's the, understandable organizational behavior that um, you know yeah. the leaders of an organization are going to seek to preserve and you know maintain the integrity of the organization. So I, I think I can then at least understand uh, where they're coming from in doing that.
5: Sure. Sure. I'm not saying they're evil, I'm just saying they were, they were acting like you'd expect.
4: Right. One of the, uh, change that I thought was ironic in the talk is um, the original version he says that um, sometimes traditions and, and culture and social practices of the church become conflated with the actual gospel and that people um, misunderstand the cultural aspects of the church to be um, uh, eternal principles of the gospel. And when they, ch- they change that quote to instead say, the, all, all it says, there's three paragraphs where it says that, and then the, the new version just says, the eternal principles of the gospel implemented through the divinely inspired church apply to a wide variety of individuals in diverse cultures.
1: Sometimes traditions, customs, social practices, and even personal preferences of individual church members may, through repeated or common usage, be misconstrued as church procedures or policies. Occasionally, such traditions, customs, and practices may be even regarded by some as eternal gospel principles. Under such circumstances, those who do not conform to these cultural standards may mistakenly be regarded as unorthodox or even unworthy. In fact, the eternal principles of the gospel and the divinely inspired church do accommodate a broad spectrum of individual uniqueness and cultural diversity. The conformity we require should be according to God's
2: standards. The eternal principles of the gospel implemented through the divinely inspired church apply to a wide variety of individuals in diverse cultures. Therefore, as we live the gospel and participate in the church... The conformity we require of ourselves and others should be according to God's standards.
4: So, rather than uh, call attention to what I think is a, is a is an important uh, uh, a topic for a worldwide church to understand, is instead it just says the church applies everywhere. Right, and and that's one th- one thing. He he goes out of his
3: way, even above that quote where you're talking about James. He really went out of his way to to first say the gospel is divinely inspired and it's perfect and the gospel applies to everyone regardless of time, place, or circumstance. And then he says, but there's some things that are cultural, and he lays that out. It's actually a pretty nuanced, um, educated approach, and he, he takes a few minutes to go through that. Um, but but like, you're right, like you said, it, it they, they boiled it down to one sentence, which is just, um, it applies to a wide variety of individuals and in diverse cultures, which is is more of where I see... Um, you know, the, the church doesn't, it, it, it's like the the previous podcast on LDS building architecture. The church doesn't try to fit in other places. It doesn't try to work with other people's cultures. It just goes in, you know, at, like a bulldozer sometimes, and this is this is just the way things are. Um, this is one one portion of the talk that I don't think would be nearly as controversial now. Um, I, I think probably in 1984 the brethren were were more, um, or sorry, were rather were less culturally sensitive to other countries. I, I think that would go over better now.
0: I wonder though, because if, if you look at the the last sentence in in those three paragraphs that were redacted, mm-hmm. it says, "In fact, the eternal principles of the gospel and the divinely inspired church." Do accommodate a broad spectrum of individual uniqueness and cultural diversity. And the word that really jumps out at me there is accommodate.
5: Right.
0: Church accommodates a broad spectrum of individual uniqueness and cultural diversity. And you could you could fit a lot of stuff today just but just by assumption and association into that broad spectrum of uniqueness, individual uniqueness and cultural diversity, especially if you're saying accommodating. And when they change that to – they change accommodating to apply. They, they say that the, <laughs> that the eternal principles of the gospel implemented through the divinely inspired church apply to a wide variety of individuals in diverse cultures. Oh, my.
5: That's turning it inside out, It completely
0: right? turns it inside out. You know, the, the church applies to you. It like doesn't accommodate limit. you. It doesn't accommodate you. It applies well, to it's, you.
4: It's interesting, Rock mentioned that correlation was was getting into full swing, and I guess the whole point of correlation was to make a, a, a homogenized um, church uh, program that, was a, that could be used in any culture where they could boil it down to the most essential aspects. And so I guess uh, Elder Pullman's uh, talk about how certain aspects of the church might not necessarily uh, apply Con, uh, contradicts kind of the church program of, of making everything uh, interchangeable across cultures.
0: Well Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's like, you know, you hear people talk about the, the the church being a big tent that has broad stakes that can stretch out and, you know, can accommodate, you know, a, a lot of people. But, but this is saying no. It, it just means that everybody has to follow the rules.
4: <laughs> and so then you end up with... uh Congregations in Africa singing 19th century British uh, Protestant hymns in
0: their <laughs> <laughs> right, right, or or who was it? Somebody somebody recently said something about that that the the saints in uh, in England were were happy when uh, they didn't have to celebrate the Fourth of July in their primary <laughs> songs anymore. <laughs> <That was laughs> you know, I, I lived it.
4: I lived in England for a year, and uh, I had a friend who was a recent convert to the church. And I pointed out to him that a whole bunch of American patriotic uh, anthems at the end of the hymn book, and uh, that kind of was an afterthought. They throw in "God Save the King" as well. He thought that was kind of humorous, and he's you know, <laughs> jokingly he had to defend it that they have all these American uh, patriotic hymns. So there, there's still a little bit of that to there. Yeah. It,
3: the, Glenn, you mentioned stakes, so I wanted to I wanted to throw this in um, toward towards the beginning of the talk. um there was a line where the original words read, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a divine institution administered by the priesthood of God. Yeah. Um, It was changed to, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the kingdom of God on earth (sighs) administered by the priesthood of God, which to me was a tragic moment in reading this because that is the death of zion i mean i love the old church stories about the members seeking for zion and wanting to build a place and wanting to you know construct this utopian society but here it's the church saying no the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints you know the the legal entity which as damon smith tells us it, it isn't really a legal entity but um the, the organization here in utah is the kingdom of god on earth it's like we've already arrived so, yeah, and of course,
5: that's a false doctrine. The early saints all understood that the church was preparatory to the kingdom of God. But but it wasn't did, the kingdom
4: of God. Didn't Joseph Smith had himself coronated toward the end of his life, though, as a king of the kingdom of Earth, kingdom of God on Earth? Or he he
3: was the um, he was anointed as the king of Israel to reign forever.
5: Yeah, I'm not so sure that that equates with the kingdom of God. Yeah, to me, to me that
3: just—I just—I just see that, and I read Zion. I, I mean, that is, I read Zion, the stakes of Zion, like we're we're there, and the whole idea of Zion is completely out the window.
5: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Jesse. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there, there's a lot of really kind of sad changes in here when when you go through, it. and, and we'll make this. This side-by-side comparison is available several places on the internet. If, if you go to Rock's blog, he's got a link to it. We'll, we'll, we'll make a link available on the Mormon Expression website. Um, th- there's another one here on the, on the second page where it says, uh, The orthodoxy upon which we insist must be founded in the fundamental principles and eternal law, including free agency and the divine uniqueness of the individual. And that last part including free agency and the divine uniqueness of the individual is changed to and direction given by those authorized in the church.
1: The orthodoxy upon which we insist must be founded in fundamental principles and eternal law including free agency and the divine uniqueness of the individual. It is important therefore to know the difference between eternal gospel principles ...which are unchanging, universally applicable, and cultural norms which may vary with time and circumstance.
2: The orthodoxy upon which we insist must be founded in fundamental principles, eternal law, and direction given by those authorized in the church. So,
0: so free agency is removed. The divine uniqueness in the individual is removed. And it's replaced with direction given by those authorized in the church. And then the next paragraph below that is removed and replaced with nothing. It's, it's, it's important, therefore, to know the difference between eternal gospel principles, which are unchanging, universally applicable, and cultural norms, which may vary with time and circumstances. That's removed. That just So, seems, it's, so it's no longer important to know the difference between those things.
4: I guess that goes back to them uh, them them saying the leadership uh, takes control of 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 uh, making sure we're following the gospel, and they probably don't want individual members trying to make those uh, distinctions for themselves, determining what they think is culture and what they what they don't think. And right. They just didn't want to make those decisions for us. I
3: I, I see this as a problem also because, I, and Pullman even uses the word disaffection, um, right right in I think it's like the third or fourth paragraph of the talk. Um, he says that if you have this misunderstanding. In extreme instances, it can lead to disaffection. So to me, this whole talk is geared towards him inoculating the members or helping the members understand what the church is and what it isn't. Yeah. And if if they had left his talk in place, it would actually get them out of a lot of sticky issues. Because if you're going to say that the church is the kingdom of God and that that institution itself is always the same and it's... It, there's so many problems I mean with scripture and with history how do you explain things with the old testament you know Abraham owned slaves um so so did Brigham Young but I mean you could you could explain so many so many tricky church history problems by just saying what he says right here yeah well cultures change but you know the principles of the gospel repentance baptism whatever those stay the same throughout time It's, it's not that controversial um which is what blows me away about the whole thing that this really is not that nothing he 's saying no, is that crazy exactly. no but, nothing he 's
5: saying is false nothing is say, he 's saying is not doctrinal in fact uh, i i read I reread it recently, and I thought you know this is a church i I would like to belong to, but then when you see the changes, you start thinking, man, this is kind of an authoritarian organization yeah here here 's another change he says.
0: The source of this perspective is found in the scriptures and may appear to be presented in a rather unorganized and untidy format. But that's changed because unorganized and untidy is, well, unorganized and untidy. <laughs> and we can't have that.
3: He's referencing the scriptures here. right?
0: The, and, and so it's changed to unnecessary perspective is gained by studying and pondering the scriptures.
5: I think you nailed it there, Glenn. When you said they can't have that, you, you can't know? you can't, can't have unorganized and untidy. It, it doesn't look good. No. It's bad for the image. No. You can't
3: you can't acknowledge that that maybe you know the Book of Mormon doesn't contain the entire fullness of the gospel in a perfect organized format. And he even goes on to say, "Look, he, he, I mean, he, he's he's apologi- he's he's making apologetic points for the church here." Right after that, he says, um, "You know, the, God could have just given us a big." Manual that, well, that that's, was organized subject, yeah. right? Um, but instead, he's given us this, this messy thing that's about these stories about people's lives, and he ties that into we're supposed to learn by principles, and we don't always have perfect rules for things. Well,
5: no, um, I'll take that. Fu- I'll take that further, Jesse. We can't have the members thinking that the leaders don't know, don't have all the answers. Yeah.
0: Right. well, we can't have the members thinking that the Lord hasn't given us a manual ah, there we are. <laughs> because he because there is there there's a church handbook of instructions that our bishop has. We can't have the members thinking that the Lord hasn't given that given that to them
4: so yeah, well, so that'd... we
0: have to take out this this sentence that says the Lord could have presented the gospel to us in a manual systematically organized by subject. <laughs> perhaps using examples and illustrations so that is removed oh yeah yeah because we can't because we can't have them think that the lord didn't it. inspire mackonkey's mormon doctrine
3: mm. and and a couple of paragraphs down from that there was a sentence in the original which read through scripture and study or excuse me through scripture study we may learn eternal principles and how to distinguish them from and relate them to Institutional resources So here he's saying That the key to understanding This difference is actually going back And looking at scriptures And based on the scriptures We can understand what is the church And what is not the church That by the time we filter our experience through Through the scriptures We'll know what lies at the core of our belief and that sentence was completely removed yeah and nothing nothing was put in its place yeah. so so rather think, than having having some objective litmus test that we can go to we like the book 1984 we're just left with whatever the current correlated version of what they tell us
5: well look at look at what many members today think is meant by holding to the rod this, the Book of Mormon is very clear that holding to the rod means holding to the Word of God, the Scriptures. And yet, most people will tell you that's holding on to the words of the brethren, uh, looking to them, uh, have putting trust in in them. So that's what holding to the rod is to them is holding to the to the Church organization, the infallible institutional Church.
4: Well, implicit in that whole sentence that was removed was the idea that there is a difference between the scriptures and the other resources provided by the church. And I guess we can see – emphasized in the most recent conference where they they read those 14 points two different times about how the prophets, the living prophets' words trump the words in the scriptures, that uh, you can't have the scriptures as some – something that you can look to for authority above the institutional resources of the church if the institutional resources of the church as approved by the prophet should trump the scriptures according to, um, you know, a certain thread of belief within uh, general authorities.
5: Yes, and that's what irks me because it would only count if they were receiving direct revelation. It doesn't, opinions don't trump the scriptures. So when
0: when Pullman was uh, sustained as a 70, was he sustained as a prophet, seer, and revelator?
3: no i don't i don't think he would have been
4: no the are the 70s sustained as prophet seers and revelators no uh,
5: probably in the minds of the general membership but i don't believe that they're sustained that way i think it's the apostles in the first presidency am i right yeah i don't know um, I,
3: I could I'll, I'll go back and check the wording on that but i i'm i'm from when he was sustained but i i think it's just the uh the 15 the quorum of the 12 and the first presidency were sustained as uh, prophet seers and letters prophet seers and revelators although when there was a church uh, patriarch uh, that that person used to be ordained as a prophet seer and revelator okay. there was a 16th yeah. member of that group well
0: if if he's not a prophet seer and revelator then i think he he's probably susceptible to being edited by prophet seers and revelators then isn't he
3: <laughs> well if, i guess that if, begs the, <laughs> begs the question then what do the prophet seers and revelators what what le- what lesson can we glean from these changes?
0: Well, that he was wrong. We we might we might like what he has to say,
5: but but he he was wrong. And and yet, everything he said aligns with Scripture, and everything they changed it simply seems to be a new policy opinion.
0: Uh, maybe I don't know. But but if if you're, if you're following the uh, you know President Benson's uh, fourteen fundamentals of following the prophet, then any, anything that uh, was in the past is just in the past. We just have to discount that, and whatever the prophet says today, we just have to follow
3: that. Well, well, Glenn, I can get around your problem very easily. Okay, um, these words were never spoken by a prophet, even after they were changed. Okay. Nor, so, yeah, so there you go. the the changes are indicative of, of a hierarchy, but um, I never heard a, a prophet actually say these words. So, well, who
0: di- who who, is, who was it that uh, instructed him to uh, to make these changes?
3: Do we know? Um, we don't know exactly.
0: What? what I, I guess it, I guess we were we were told that he made these changes on his own. Is, is that we were, what we were told? Was that the we story? That, that
3: there's a Sunstone article um, that talked about this, and it was written by Peggy Fletcher Stack. Mm-hmm. I think she may have just been Peggy Fletcher at the time, but um, the quote from it was, Those apostles who regularly dealt with apostate groups pointed out to Elder Pullman that his talk might be misunderstood. Um, that was how it was phrased, and then and later on it mentions that he decided to change it after that was pointed out to him. I'm wondering which apostles, quote, regularly deal with apostate groups, because <laughs> from everything I've been able to see, they, they don't. There's there's no one who deals with apostate groups. Huh. Maybe this was the Danites. I don't know.
5: Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's, a, what's very interesting about this, and I think I made this point earlier, was the original talk would be the type of thing that would incline a person who had co- doubts and questions to stay within the church, but the talk as redacted is so authoritarian. It my way or the highway, that I, I think if the intent was to keep people from leaving the church, i think it have the opposite effect, because people are leaving the church by the tens of thousands of year be, a year because of this type of an attitude among the, the, among the authorities.
0: Yeah, well, he he addressed the talk at the beginning. Did, didn't he address it to people who are are believers, believing members in the church, or people who are getting ready to join, like investigators?
3: He said though, to those of you who who believe in the church and those of you who are learning about it,
0: and um, and, and contemplating joining, right? Like? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he wasn't. He, he I, I I don't know that he was really thinking about people who are considering
3: leaving right which, or which doubters. something that um, that portion of what he said um, that he he actually had a first paragraph which that entire paragraph was removed from um, the edited version oh was so, it of, of who it was addressed to uh. so so the new talk um, which is currently still available on lds.org starts out with that sentence both the gospel and the church both the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. Of Jesus Christ are true and divine, blah 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 blah. He skips they so they they skip right over that. Um, well,
5: as yeah. you implied, Jesse, that was, that was a really lame reason they gave, and uh, you, you notice that he didn't say himself that he wanted to clarify. A spokesman said that he he wanted it was his idea, and it right. wasn't. It's clear. It's clear. It's not his idea. to Turn his words inside out.
4: Yeah. I wonder if um, this whole incident led to any changes in church procedures for uh, how talks, how, how people are chosen to speak in general conference and how talks are approved. Um, I, I, I have two, two experiences with, with, with hearing about how this happens. I had a friend in the late 1990s whose father was, was, a, was in a position where he would speak in conference, and he said that the, none, of the, none of the priesthood holders who spoke in conference had to submit their talks for pre-approval, but all of the women did. Um, but I, I, heard, I just recently um, a, a high leader of the church came to speak, and uh, I he he said that their talks are submitted for approval, and they're, they're not um, they're not told to change things. But um, uh, for example, if two different spe- two different church leaders are going to speak on the same topic, they might tell them that and suggest that one of them change, you know, make make minor suggestions such as that. But I can't help but wonder if maybe those sorts of things are, are more common now to make sure that something like Elder Pullman's talk doesn't even make it into conference in the first place.
3: Well, I, but, and I also wonder if they would even need to do that, because this would have such a chilling effect on other members of the 70. Like, hey, did you hear about what happened to Pullman? Man, make sure you don't um, you know, put anything controversial in your conference talk or they're going to make you go record it again and you're going to be pretty much humiliated. Um, I, 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 that's, what I, that's what I think, I, I, that, that there would be so much pressure Um, and fear within their organization that they just wouldn't ever say something like this again. Well, do
0: you think he was humiliated?
3: I think it's humiliating. I I think he wrote this talk. He's a very educated man. He's clearly thought about it deeply. Um, I think he went out of his way to tie in principles. He's very affectionate towards the church. He he ties in the gospel perfectly. um, And they make him sneak back into the into the tabernacle and record this and not say anything to anyone um you know the church doesn't mention it they don't come out and say you know p- put an addendum on his talk and say we liked everything that elder pullman said we wanted to clarify that the church is whatever whatever you know they could they could add something onto it i to me it's humiliating um well is, that's he, my a general, biggest... is he a general authority or or, or is the is the correlation the general authority I mean that word has to mean something um, so I, I think it's humiliating yeah
4: well um, what you said Jesse uh, reminds me of something that, that that's of concern to me and that's uh, the whole way that they did this um, we don't know because they never said what whose idea it was to change it and we have no idea exactly what the process was behind the scenes. Um, I thought the whole, the whole point of having a prophecy and revelator was that they are there to correct false doctrine and to teach us correctly. And we don't know whether Elder Pullman's original talk is considered to be false doctrine or not because we don't know exactly who told him to make the changes. And just the whole um, the secrecy behind it makes it difficult for us to discern what it is we're supposed to believe. And I think that goes to just a, a common theme in the church of uh, if, if a, a teaching falls out of favor, no one, no one necessarily tells us that it's not in uh, force anymore, they just kind of don't emphasize it, and uh, actually in 1981, uh, Elder Hartman Rector gave a talk in General Conference where he, he was pretty harsh uh, talking about birth control and talking against birth control, and the same thing happened in his talk, they just took out the parts where he talked about birth control, and as you know, if you notice, people don't talk in the church about birth control anymore, but in the 70s, general authorities talked about it all the time, saying it was bad, so now no one really knows, are those statements still valid or not? And it would be useful in my mind for someone to just say, you know, this is right, this is wrong, so that we can have a clear understanding of what the Church's teachings are on these issues.
5: You're right. Good good point, James, because rather than just sneaking around and changing it, there should be a definitive statement, and there isn't. So, to me, the talk has to stand, because otherwise it looks like a committee has changed it. You know, to me, this is one of the most—this is one of the masterpieces— Conference talks—it's—it's it's, to me the best one that I in memory. If you just take it as is, it explains it all. And it, it like I said before, people—we're uh, not allowed to—we're to, not allowed to admit we have doubts and questions, and maybe we're our, our testimony is not always at the point where we know the church is true. So when we when we read a talk like this or see a talk like this it helps us to see okay it's all right to sit back and take some time to figure things out
3: but we're not allowed to do that I, I totally agree with you rock um and james just my my thought on your point um about we don't know who made the changes that that ties in perfectly to the recent incident with elder packer um you know there were there were far less words that were changed in the print version of the talk and it wasn't re-recorded but you can't imagine that Elder Packer didn't prepare his talk and think about his talk beforehand, and then say it to all the members. Um, but then a few days later, the church can turn around and say, "Oh no, look, we we have a consistent position on homosexuality. Um, just go read his talk. It's you know, we we don't know where that change came from, um, <laughs> and so it's it's hard to give any weight to those words before or after."
4: Mm, yeah, That's well I, said. I guess I can understand that the brethren, you know, these are all people who work together for decades of their lives, and it's maybe a little awkward to publicly uh, say, say that someone was wrong and correct them. Um, but if, if, they're, they're, if their main goal is to, to make sure that the members understand what it is that they think we should believe and what should be taught, then uh, that's just something that, that they need to do, even if it is uncomfortable for them personally to, to correct one of their colleagues. Yeah, and it was probably pretty uncomfortable for Samuel the Lamanite to get up on that
3: wall um, when people were, were shooting, shooting arrows and throwing rocks at him. Um, so so I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but um, you know, from a, from a perspective of, of trying to think that these people are, are divinely inspired, it, it makes it more difficult.
4: Slam. <laughs> yeah, all right. I have no response to that.
5: Yeah, okay. Did I sound like I was getting a little too worked up there?
3: <laughs>
5: no, no,
0: no. No,
3: you're fine. fine. Okay. I, I want to, before we, before we end, I want to make um, one more point that I thought I thought just capped off this whole discussion. Um, and if you listen to the redacted audio, when he finishes his talk, what, what are, you guys know this, what are the last words that any anyone would say in their talk, the very last words? In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, and then what comes after his amen? Uh, the, oh, the congregation. The congregation. So they've dubbed in the congregation saying um, amen to his redacted talk, which um, to, to me just just highlights this this whole idea. Because isn't the word amen? Or isn't that us saying you know we agree? Yeah. Um, well, the, the church can now just kind of tell us what we boy, agree with.
5: Boy, that's that's profound. Because you're right. That was a big fake amen. And there was no one there actually saying it. No one there actually agreeing with these phony, redacted, changed words. Oh, it's just awful. It's just awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I
0: yeah. I, that that that's a little troubling. But um, you know, I mean, if you try and look at it from the point of view of somebody who is, you know, true believing Mormon, you know, what what are the, what are they going to say to that? I mean, they, they, they won't really
4: care, will they? Well, it's, you know... It's just just like the sustaining vote. They just kind of assume everyone's raised their hands, but you can't really tell who's raised their hands in that big conference center.
0: <laughs> you know, so if, 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 you, if you take this issue, just, you know, next, next time you're in church and you turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, you know, did, did, did you know that this happened? or you have this discussion with your bishop, or you have this discussion with... Like, what what do you expect, just a general
5: member of the church, what, what do you expect their reaction would, would be to this? Well, what I get from my blog... My blog addresses these types of questions quite a bit. The things that are perhaps uncomfortable, but true. And uh, let me just interject. A major reason that I write my blog is to keep people from just walking, throwing their hands up and walking away, I, I, there are uh, you know, you can look and you can see that people are human and they make mistakes and uh, well, they're just human and they're fallible but what I get from uh, I don't hear a lot from uh, readers who disagree, but uh, I've heard from a few people I know and essentially they tell me you know, I just, I'm trying to keep my testimony, I just don't want to think about these things I don't, I'm not comfortable that's what I've heard over and over. I'm not comfortable reading what you write, Rock, because yeah. it's it's, and they don't use the word challenging. It's not challenging. So essentially, they want to set it aside and uh, go merrily along. And so fine, but but well, the, I, I would are, think
0: that the people who are already on the internet reading your blog are just they're already <laughs> asking for trouble,
3: <laughs> but, right? But, but, <laughs> but I've read some of those comments on there where people are saying. What do you hope to accomplish by posting this? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like, like the the <laughs> by by pointing out what actually happened in general conference
4: would be somehow threatening to the church um, is is just interesting yeah. in and of right. itself. Didn't uh, Joseph Smith say that one of the fundamental principles of Mormonism is to seek out truth wherever it may be? So, um, how can uh, learning the truth about yeah what happened in general conference be be threatening to Mormonism? Yeah, that's Got all I'm trying to do. I'm trying
5: to, uh, for myself, I, basically what I'm doing on my blog is sharing things that I've learned over time, and isn't this interesting, and did you know this didn't really happen? Uh, but, I don't want to digress here, but some people just don't want to know. They well, just want to uh, like the milk. It, it reminds me of uh, Orson
0: Scott Card put out a book. I think it's called Mormon Speak, which is like the, the Devil's Dictionary, yeah. you know, for Mormonism. Yeah. And 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 he's he's got one definition, which is the uh, the Golden Question, and it's um, what do you know about Mormons? And it's it, and the definition is uh, oh, it's something like um, a, a question that Mormons love to ask non-Mormons, but very rarely ask themselves.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. you know uh, i mean so i i mean i i think people in in just in general members of the church if they found out something like this i i really don't think it would make much of a a difference in their lives i think that they probably just you know slough it off and say oh well they probably had good reasons for it and let's just focus on doing what we're supposed to do and not get hung up on these things right
4: I think you're right. I actually, in my research preparing for this, I came across a discussion on a more apologetic uh, website where they discussed the, the changes in the talk. And uh, most of them agreed that the, the changes weren't substantive, that there, there wasn't any real substantive difference. And all that the changes oh. did was clarify the original meaning and make the talk more logical because the original talk was kind of muddled and difficult to understand. Yeah, And yeah, uh, I, I, just, I couldn't happen? see that. <laughs> I couldn't see that from reading the differences. The differences seem pretty substantial to me, but um, if that's what you want to hear and want to see, then it's easy to convince yourself, I suppose.
5: Well, you know what I would say? I, 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 this is a point I'd like to make. Forget the, forget the controversy. Forget the fact that it was uh, redone. Forget the fact that uh, you know, his original talk was redacted, and, and this whole scandal. The original talk is so worthwhile, that I would encourage anyone to read it read it through you know uh, don't pay attention to to the redactions just read it through it's it's a masterpiece I love it I love it
0: yeah I agree yeah and and, and you know the, the redacted version really does pale in comparison it, it, mm-hmm. it really does feel like its soul has been sucked out I, of it. I had a point
3: just because we're talking about um, what you're talking about how, sucking the life out of things and there was There was one more quote that was um, completely deleted. It was the second half of a sentence about midway through the talk. Um, The original words were that the church, every church member has not only the opportunity, right, and privilege to receive a personal witness regarding gospel principles and church practices, and then here's the second half, but has the need and obligation to obtain such assurance by exercising his free agency thereby fulfilling one purpose of his mortal probation. That whole second part, the need and obligation to obtain such assurance by exercising his free agency, thereby obtaining, thereby fulfilling one purpose of his mortal probation, was just completely removed. Um, and, and in light of um, Elder Oaks's recent talk about the priesthood lines and the personal line, yeah. that just seems to fit in perfectly. If you don't believe exactly what the brethren say... Then you can't have that as um, you know any kind of inspiration, or the spirit can't lead you to say anything different than what the brethren say. So it's it's somewhat your your free agency is quite limited.
0: I I wonder if in 1984, WordPerfect had just come out, <laughs> and they figured out how to like do a word search, and they just like went through this looking for free agency, and every time it popped up, they just redacted it. <laughs>
4: You're right, almost every instance of that word is taken out of the top. Every
0: instance yeah. where free agency comes up
4: is just, boom, gone. Jesse, what you said, um, I think goes to just, it, it shows the, um, the, the, the point about free agency shows just, I think, a general change in church culture that we there's only one set way to believe. Uh, in the early days of the church, uh, Brigham Young taught the Adam God Doctrine, and Orson Pratt very publicly uh, disagreed with him and in public made speeches against it. Um, in the early 1900s, um, B.H. Roberts he had theories about uh, uh, pre-Adamites, human-type beings existing before Adam, and Joseph Fielding Smith publicly disagreed. And, uh, you know, the church members could see that general authorities could disagree on certain fundamental aspects of doctrine and Mm -mm. still be considered general authorities. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that Brigham Young actually lost out, and eventually Orson Pratt's interpretation became the official interpretation of the church. (laughs) And by taking away that kind of, that that ability of general authorities to publicly disagree sometimes and not always speak with, with the same exact... Teachings and voice, then I think that removes a lot of the richness richness from the church and a lot of uh, the the ability of members to, to choose and to use their free agency by by seeing the different viewpoints. Yeah, yes, I because- agree,
3: and I also think that makes the church more brittle yeah. in the long run because although the, you know the the ideas might be more um, firmly in, uh, situated in people's minds, you know, just to what you alluded to there. Take something like biological evolution that is just eating people alive right now. Um you know, because the church has to keep has to maintain all those all those doctrines that are associated with that. Um it's just it's just a really big issue. So sorry, go ahead, Rock, what were you saying?
5: Well I'm just wondering why 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 we aren't allowed to have debate within the church and work things out and talk things out. Uh, the the Orson Pratt Brigham Young debates were fascinating and the and the members could take from what from them what they wanted, and it didn't it wasn't Going to make the church fall apart. All right. And any final comments on
3: this? My final thought is that um, if I could summarize this this whole thing from from ten thousand feet, it just goes to how we describe ourselves and how we describe our belief. So very often within um, within the LDS community, people say we are members of the church, or those people are non-members, and we we talk about it. We talk about our our beliefs in terms of our affiliation to an institution, which is very much a temporal earthly institution. You know, it's a legal entity in rather than say we're followers of Jesus Christ or we, we are seekers after truth and we embrace all truth where we find it. So, but instead we, we are members of the church and we, we align, we put our allegiance to them and then, you know kind of we hitch onto their wagon and then that that takes us where we want to go.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think we could have a a a whole another discussion on uh church and gospel. The, yeah. the the distinctions there I I think that's a rich topic to to explore but we don't have time to to get into that more uh tonight. But uh any any other comments from either you James or rock?
4: I guess I just uh, want to say, um, I guess this shows that my sympathies lie with the first version of his talk, but I'd encourage everyone to, to go to the website and actually uh, click on the link and re- compare the two versions for yourself and uh, see what you think.
5: Yep. Yes, exactly. You, uh, as I mentioned in my blog, read them and, and decide for yourself which one you feel is inspired from on high. Yeah. It's, it's clear to me that the first one is by the way may I plug in my blog sure. name once again is Pure Mormonism and you can just google that it's actually puremormonism.blogspot.com but it's easier to just google the words puremormonism sure.
0: we'll, we'll, we'll put a link up uh, oh, great. For, okay. for you as well, and and uh, did, did you did you ever get that cheese delivered? That tin of cheese? Yes, it's great.
5: Was it good? <laughs> That's great. Right. I, I don't think we discussed this, but the uh, analogy I I mentioned was as I was writing my piece, I was actually excitedly awaiting a visit from my UPS driver. His name is John. He he's the same driver all the time, and I couldn't wait for him to come, but. Oh but it really wasn't john that i was waiting to see it was what he was bringing me and the analogy i made there was that that for as as much as i value john's place it's not john that i'm that i was all a dither about it was the cheese he was bringing me but and so yes it was it was canned cheese quite expensive it comes down to about 5 dollars a can, but it stores for 25 years and it's good <laughs> Yeah and so so
0: the analogy was that the cheese is the gospel and that yes. John is the church.
5: John is the delivery system. He's the delivery me, system. Yeah. He brings me the things that edify me and feed me. Yeah. But he is not he's not where, you know, I just I constantly see people saying isn't it wonderful how we have uh, prophets and apostles to guide us these days but if you ask them for any specific guidance they're a little nebulous about it. So they're focusing on the delivery system and that's what I'm trying to say. They're in love with the dri- the, the driver instead of the gospel and in love with Jesus himself. Let's come unto Christ let's look at what the church is delivering and saying thank you for the church. The church deserves our effusive thanks but that's not the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. <laughs> All right,
0: Jesus of Nazareth. All right,
3: grilled Jesus. That's right.
0: <laughs> okay, guys. All right. Uh, well, thank you guys, well, thank for, you guys for, joining for joining in. I think it's been in. a good discussion. And uh, as always, always,
2: put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world we don't need another war put down the weapons that you use against yourself you hi this is hillary Matthew. ryan carol
3: Ashley. and i like to play bingo online while listening to infants on thrones
5: you can comment on this episode on the website InfantsOnThrones.com. and
3: if you really like what you hear
4: give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on itunes
5: i did i did
0: i did anyone for the closing prayer
4: my worst crime is an inside job, dark
0: thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune in to the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Infants on front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past me. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my in light, destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on the night. Choosing love when I pick up this.